I have three things I want to do today, all right? I want to give you a very review of a very brief theology lesson. I want to tell you a story from the Bible, and then I want to give you a challenge. So there's a lesson, a story, and a challenge. So there's three things we're going to do. And we've got, you know, a truncated amount of time in life, so we're going to do that quickly. A theology lesson, a story, and a challenge. All right? Lesson. Ding! Number one. Um, most of you know that God didn't reveal himself to us in a, a, with a list of truths. He didn't send to us a document saying, this is what I need you to know. These are the 17 most important things. These, here's all the truth about God. We have collected what we have learned about God in the scriptures, and we try to do that. But that's not how God chose to reveal himself. God chose to reveal himself over time through stories. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. If you just gave, if he just gave us an outline of the most important things, it would be much easier to memorize, right? Uh, but the, prop, the, the beauty of a story is it can mean a lot of different things. And that's the power of a story. And that's the problem with a story. But that's how God chose to reveal himself. He chose to reveal himself in history over time, revealing different aspects of himself as that story unfolded. And so all of those stories make up one story, right? It's the story of God telling us about himself. It's God choosing to, to know us and to let us know him. What we learn about him is, so by the way, the title of my talk today, if we're going to give it a title, is grabbing for the wrong side of God. Grabbing for the wrong side of God. All right? You're thinking, what the heck is that? So that we'll find out. So I want you to think of grabbing for the wrong side of God. Because one of the things that God has in the story, of the unfolding story about himself, one of the things that he's revealed to us is there's, when we try to put together everything we know about God, there are two basic categories of things that are true about God, right? When we think about what is God like, there are two buckets. When everything we say about God goes in one of, of two buckets, there are those things that are true about God that belong only to him, right? There are things that are true about God that are only true about God. For instance, God is limitless, right? He is limitless. He is limitless in regards to time, meaning he never had a beginning and he will never have an end. He, there is no limit. He has always been, will always be. He always is. That's why Jesus could say, I am the beginning and the end. He's, he's both now and everything in between. He is limitless when it comes to time. We're not. He is limitless when it comes to knowledge. He knows everything. He knows all of the possibilities that could have been but aren't, that might be but won't be. 
He knows all of those things without limit for every single option of every single situation in all across the world throughout history from the beginning to the end. He knows all of it right now. He knows what you won't wear tomorrow, but you were thinking you might. He's limitless what it, when it comes to knowledge. He's always right because he knows everything. We're not. He's limitless when it comes to capacity or power. He is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, all without the exertion of a single iota of energy. God never spends energy to do what he does. He just does it completely effortlessly without cost. He is limitless when it comes to power. We're not. He is completely unchangeable. In other words, he is all of that, will always be that, and nothing will ever change that. He is, he is immutable is the big theology word. He doesn't change. It's like he's the same forever. He doesn't grow into something. He doesn't grow out of it. He doesn't get tired of it. He doesn't enjoy it more tomorrow than he does today. He's absolutely the same, consistent, forever, and we're not. These are things that belong to God only. Right? There are things that are true that are only true about God. And there are things that we could say about God that fit in that only true about him bucket. But there are also things that are true about God that are not only true about God. Although when they are true about God, he is the original of which we are a copy, right? So he is the original something. We are derivative of that. Look, God loves. He loves passionately, selflessly, and sometimes we do too. Sometimes we love less passionately or more selfishly, but sometimes we can imitate that original kind of love and we come close to loving. We can do that. God is kind. He is kind for the sake of being kind. And sometimes we can be kind too, right? Sometimes we could actually be nice to people. I, you can do that. I can do that. It's a part, he's the original kindness. We're sort of derivatively kind. So there are things that are true about God that we can also, can also be true about us to a greater or lesser degree. So when we talk about God, everything comes in two buckets. The things that are only true about him and the things that are shareable with us. Right? The language of theologians is there are non-communicable attributes, stuff he can't give away, and communicable attributes, stuff he can give away. And there are always two sides to God. So that's the theology lesson. The theology lesson is 
that God reveals himself in time over history in a, in a story or in actually in an accumulation of stories to reveal him, himself in two sort of basic categories, stuff that is his alone and stuff that he could share with us. That's the theology lesson. Now the story. And I want to read the story. It's kind of a story you probably are somewhat familiar with. It's from the Old Testament. I want to start reading in Exodus chapter 33. It's in the skinny part of your Bible, right? Which suggests that it's at the beginning, near the beginning, which suggests that what God is going to reveal himself, about himself, in the beginning pages is somewhat foundational for the rest of the story, right? Because if you're going to reveal yourself sequentially over time, you're going to start with things that build. God isn't saying, here's a lesson I want you to learn, and then 60, 100 years later say, no, no, wait, forget that. Right? The stuff he teaches in the beginning is important. It's foundational for the things that are coming along. That just makes sense, right, from an educational perspective, and God's pretty smart that way. So let's read in Exodus 33, uh, verse 17. Let me tell you what's happened here. This is the, Moses has gone up to the mountain, excuse me, and received the tablets from God. He's come down from the mountain, found the people involved in idolatrous worship. He got a little ticked off and threw the tablets down, smashing them and rebuking the people. And my favorite part of that whole story is when he says to Joshua, what, what, did, what happened here? And he said, well, you know these people. It's Joshua's McGrath version of that. You know these people. You were gone for a while. They wanted to worship an idol, so I just asked everybody to give me whatever gold they had. I threw the gold in the fire and out popped this, this goat. What was I supposed to do? I just threw gold in, poof, out came an idol. I didn't know what to do. So we worshiped it. <laughs> what? So it all settles down. It all sort of it comes to peace. And God go, and calls Moses back up to the mountain. We're going to do Ten Commandments, take two. Right? So we're at Ten Commandments, take two. Right? There's gone on this... this prayer between Moses and God about what do we do with this people who have been rebelling and blah, blah, blah. And there's this great sort of interchange. And I leave that story for those who know more than I. But I want to pick up that story here in verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, meaning I'll, I'll keep the people and you. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Interesting concept. I know what I call you. I know what I call you. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Right? Whoa, show me your glory. How many serious believers over the millennia have prayed something like that? Lord, show me. Show me your glory. 
And he said, I, will, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. That is, I will tell you what you will call me. Right? I know what I call you. I know you by name. And I will come by you. want me to show you, show you your glory? I will come by you, you and show you that. And I will tell you what you should call me. I will proclaim my name to you. I will tell you what you call me. Right? I, will, I, I will tell you how to identify me. What to think of me when you think of me. I will give you my name. So it's a very, he's not saying I'm going to give you the letters of my name. He's saying I'm going to tell you what you call me. Right? Blah, 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 where am I? Uh, uh, and I will be gracious, uh, and I will pray the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Meaning I'm doing this because I want to. I just let you know, I'm doing, I, I don't have to. I don't owe this to you. I want to. I'm going to let you do this. But he said to me, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about that while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I shall take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Interesting story. Interesting set of imagery here. You can't see my face. I'll show you my back. But in seeing my back, I'm going to proclaim to you what you call me, how you will know me, what you will think about me, who I really am. I will let you know that. I, and that so, so that's a very interesting story. And I wonder if there's a front side to God and a back side to God. I wonder if those are somewhat reminiscent of the two kinds of things that are true about God. There are certain things you can't actually come in counter with without paying serious consequences. But there are some things you can see about him. He says, oh, I'm going to go by, and the things you're really not, you really can't afford to see, Moses, I'll hide your eyes till the part of me that you can see is visible, and I'll tell you what, what I am. All right? So let's jump down a few back down to next chapter, uh, going through, uh, skipping a few verses to talk about the tablets themselves in verse 5. This is when it comes true. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. So this is God proclaiming. As he goes by, God is saying this. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow down low towards the earth and worship. And he said, if, Lord, I have found favor in your sight, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate 
and do thou pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as thine own possession. What a very interesting encounter. And this is what I want to say in that story, that the glory of God, the glory of God, come, which we know from other stories later in the Bible, is destined to fill the whole earth. The glory of God, which is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The glory of God, which will fill the earth and fills the heaven. That part of God that he chooses to reveal to us. That glory comes when people share in those things which are true about God, but can also be true about us. The glory of God is not found in those things about God which are only true about God. That's an what is interesting to me is what he chooses to say, this is how I want you to know me. This is what I want you to think about me, Moses. You're about to get the law. There's a big thunder. There's a whole lot of holiness going on here. But this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to call me. I want you to call me compassionate, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, loving kindness, committed to being loving kindness and forgiving all kinds of iniquities, sins, and transgressions. All while doing that, never letting any unpaid sin go unpaid forever. Very interesting. This is what I will tell you, is that the glory of God comes when we share those attributes with God. When compassion and grace, and mercy, and slow to anger, forgiving, loving kindness, and truthfulness. We could spend a great deal of time just unpacking what those words mean. I encourage you to do that on your own. But the glory of God comes when we share that, when we live in that godness. The glory of God isn't coming, listen carefully, isn't coming simply by the distribution of God's power. It's not coming by the distribution of God's knowledge. It's not coming in the distribution of God's abilities or rightnesses. Those things are wonderful things and true about God, and will be true forever. But the glory of God comes in another set of attributes. It comes in things we tend not to value as much. Rarely, rarely do we have people praying and seeking God for more slowness to anger. We want more power. We want more healing. I am suggesting 
there is a possibility that we are grabbing for the wrong side of God. We are grabbing for things that belong only to him. And, and sometimes failing to grab the things that really are for us. Look, my biggest struggle in life is slowness to anger. I am not, nor have I ever been, slow to anger. Right? Every time I am quick to anger, I am demonstrating that I am grabbing for the wrong side of God because God is entitled to be quick to anger if he wants because he's always flipping right. right? You, know, you, you tick him off, you're just wrong by definition. Right? So if he decides you're wrong, there's no, what are you, is that wall on? Can I get a second opinion? Yes, you're damned. How about that? <laughs> now you're wrong and damned. <laughs> Would you like a third opinion? Where, where, what's, where's that conversation going? Right? Where, where, but, but I want to be right. I long to be right. And when you cross my rightness, God help you. He usually does because he's not helping me. I'm grabbing for the wrong side of God. I can spend my life trying to be in control. Make sure it works the way I want it to work. Make sure it's exactly what I was thinking. I'm grabbing for the right, the wrong side of God. I want to be like him. <laughs> Read always right. Read in control. Read well thought of. I can spend so much of my energy grabbing for things that belong only to him. And every ounce of energy I spend trying to be godlike, even if I wouldn't ever say it, judgmental, angry, vindictive, in control, manipulative, fearful of what you think of me, insecure. They're all expressions of my grabbing for the wrong side of God. Every ounce of energy you or I spend being that way, feeling those feelings and, and living in them for that moment, every ounce of energy we spend is taking away from the glory of God. We're grabbing for the wrong side. Oh, man. We don't mean it half the times. We're doing this, frankly, completely ignorantly. I, I have been in my life a classic textbook, passive-aggressive. I am so skilled at dragging my feet in looking humble while I'm doing it so I don't have to do what I don't want to do. 
Oh, I am, I'm a master at it. I want my will to be done. Just like God. I'm trying to be like him. Every ounce of energy in that direction destroys the glory of God in the earth. So what's my challenge? So that's my lesson, my, sto my story. What's my challenge? Let me tell you this. The desire to be like God, to be right, to be well thought of, to be in control, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter how it expresses itself, because it expresses itself all the ways in different ways for each of us. That desire to be like God, to be always right, to be all of those things, that desire is more insipid and more clandestine. It is more skilled at being hidden than we would know. I can be so self-centered and have a thousand reasons why it's the right way to be. Oh, I am so good at explaining how my selfishness is noble. I have become a master at it. I can hide from the truth. I can distort the facts just subtly enough that it tells my story. I can seek to manipulate and control just humbly enough that it goes my way. I am an expert at grabbing hold of the wrong side of God. Listen to me carefully. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to worship and not just sing songs. Because I can't, I don't even know, I don't even know how crooked I am until I'm face to face with the straight one. I don't know how selfish I am until I am face to face with mercy. I don't know how arrogant I can be until I've come face to face with compassion. I don't know me without him. I know what I want to be true. I don't know what is true. And when we stand together in the presence of God and words come and songs rise that, that are revealing the presence of the Father, something happens in our hearts that cannot happen any other way. That's the beginning of the glory of God. But I also need you. I need you to challenge my selfishness. And I really, who is it who said, I, it was a Churchill who said, I love learning, I hate being taught. I, 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 that's so true about me. I love to learn, just don't you think you're going to teach me. <laughs> 
but I need you. I need you to be crooked too so that I can want to be crooked back and God can say, eh, eh, eh. Eh, McGrath? Did you see what they, did, McGrath? But they, McGrath. I'm convinced that's what he calls me when I'm in trouble. That's what my wife says. <laughs> McGrath, whoa, I know I'm in trouble. I need you. I need the day in and day out, give and take, rubbing, stretching, not agreeing with you, maybe not even liking you. I need to be in a place where, where that happens all of the time so that what is crooked in me, what is grabbing for the wrong side of God, can be releasing that and going after something else. I need you. I need you in my life. I need your struggles. I need your victories. I need your testimonies. I need the parts of you that I don't even like. I need that. And you can't find that anywhere else, folks. You can't. We are a group of men and women, some boys and girls, who are absolutely committed to lay hold of that part of God which is ours to lay hold of that we are learning to be compassionate. We are learning to be merciful. We are learning to be slow to anger. We are learning to be love, filled with loving kindness, abounding in loving kindness to thousands. We are learning to be truthful. We are learning to forgive, and we need each other if the glory of God is ever going to come into our world. If God is ever going to fill this earth with glory, it's because we figured out how to let God turn us from holding on to the parts that belong only to him and laying hold of the parts that can be for us too. I need you. I need you. I need you day in and day out. I need people in my life. I have to have it or I am going to stay grabbing hold to the wrong side of God. And if we need any example, remember what it says about our master, how he did not consider equality with God on those incommunicable attributes. He didn't consider his equality with God in those ways to be worthy of being held onto, but he let them go so that he could embrace a whole different side of God. Live as us, filled with compassion and mercy and long-suffering and gentleness and humility and patience, grace, forgiveness. We have the greatest example in the world of someone who had a right to hold on to the other side of God, but willingly let it go so he could embrace the glory of God the earth. I challenge you as a church. You need each other. You need worship. And you need to find how God can take what is crooked in us and make it straight. Fill us with his glory.
And when we say glory, we now know what he wanted us to mean by that. He wanted us to mean compassion. To look at people in need and, and let it break our hearts. He wanted it to be mercy. To look at those around us and say, you don't deserve this and I'm going to pour it on you so much you won't believe it. He wanted us to be truthful so that when you see us, there's no mask. We are what we are. We love who we love. We struggle with what we struggle, but we are filled with truth. He wanted us to be forgiving. That's our master who could have held what I am now calling the wrong side of God because it's the wrong side for me. But he let it go to embrace the glory of God. That's your call as a church. That's why it's worth the struggle to get along with each other. Oh, gosh, are you all obstinate pigs. Just look at each other and go oink, oink. Get over it. I had a, a mentor who used to say these words, the ways of God are so simple, only the obedient can understand them. It's not hard. You just have to love. And that's why you need each other. That's why you need to struggle with what you struggle with. That's why you have people in your life that are messed up and hurt you and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only to prepare you to share the glory of God in the world. And then when you've learned to do it with each other, just keep doing it. Just go to work and share the glory of God. Go to school and bring the glory of God with you. <laughs> Hang out with your, with your neighbors and bring the glory of God with you. It's not all about the power and the might. It's all about the compassion and mercy and long-suffering. Forgiveness. It's all about love. That's what God is calling us to. His glory is found in us sharing his personality to grab the right side of God. So my challenge is, will you open your heart to the Holy Spirit more and more, daily, hourly, minutely? Will you learn to listen to what's going on inside you? And when the Holy Spirit says, you're grabbing the wrong side, McGrath. You say, oh, oh I, I, I do. I will. Forgive me. The beautiful thing here is we are just, you notice when Moses, when God comes by, this is, the, the people just messed up royally. They just messed up enough that God could say, I am done with you. And what God wants him to know is, I'm a God not like that. I'm not like that. I'm not like that. And as he passes by Moses, Moses hastens to fall on the ground and said, oh, then if you're not like that, Will you come with us? Will you come with us? We got to have that. God says, that's the point. You want that? I'm in. I'm not after perfection. I'm after laying hold of the right side of God. You want that? I'm in. Will that be you? Let's pray. 
Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we, we, we approached a serious thing. We approached a holy thing. I'm asking that my own style wouldn't get in the way of this amazing truth. That you want to fill the earth with your glory. You want us to share those attributes that are intentionally ours. You want our lives to be filled with them. Help us to be filled with them together. Help them us to be filled with them in the world around us. We invite you to do that, Lord. We give you permission. Wake us up when we are sleeping with our hand on the wrong side of God. Please. Amen. Thank you, Mark. God for his faithfulness. I think um, over some 30 years Mark has been coming to us bringing God's word to us in ways which we probably remember more than most things because of gift that God's given him. And that's great but it's, it's only as great as if we actually receive and embrace that. Anything that we're engaged in or we do, which is not first being moved with compassion, doesn't actually um, cut the mustard. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains... But have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. I think it's pretty clear. The issue of living and dwelling, being motivated by, and seeing the priority of God's love. And that's why we join in that prayer. Thank you, Mark. Let's... Um, Take opportunity to respond for prayer. If you would like to do that, remember what I also brought to you earlier on. There's an opportunity to respond. Uh, uh, if you need prayer for healing or something that Mark has brought to us during this time, then you'd like someone to stand with you, then come and join here, and there'll be the people here to stand with you in prayer, uh, even as we spend time to fellowship together. Thank you.